This morning I'm going to have you turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6, I believe. Mark 6. Once you meet me there, we're going to pray, and then we're going to read this context. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you pray this prayer just silently to God? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, we pray that you'd be glorified, that people hearing this message would be edified, and we pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've finished the book of Romans. Amen. Yay, we're done with Romans. We're moving on, and we've got a holiday weekend. And so next week, I'm starting a series in the book of Ephesians, which is a great book, one of my favorite books. It'll go probably all the way to Thanksgiving, and then we'll do a little bit of Thanksgiving, and then we'll do a little bit of Christmas, and then it'll be a whole new year. Uh, but today, I had a week where I could just pick anything, and that's kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I go away in the fall for about two nights to a hidden place, and uh, I just have my computer and my Bible, and I pray and I search for the next year's sermons, the whole, the whole 52 weeks. Uh, that's coming up pretty soon, so I'll be determining what's going to happen January through December next year. So be praying for your pastor this fall as we make plans for that. Somebody asked me, how's the assistant pastor search going? Well, I had dinner. Julie and I went to Grand Rapids, had dinner with uh, the prospect and his wife, keeping him on the hook. Uh, I know he watches us every Sunday, so come on, man. Come on. Man, we, we need you, man. We need you. Um, pretty soon, within the next few weeks, hopefully we'll be able to have our, one of our last interviews with the man and uh, hopefully be able then to move forward to the last step. So would you be in prayer for that? Just be in prayer uh, for the assistant pastor role here at Oakwood as we need to fill that. Excited about the future, excited about what God has for us. Parents, Next Sunday night uh, is our kickoff in student ministries. I'm going to announce it this morning and then I'll send it out in an email. I'm going to move the time up to 5.30. So parents, if you're marking your calendar, next Sunday night's kickoff for our student ministries would be 5.30. The reason is simply this. I know that... um, uh, Young Life. I was going to say Young Life. It didn't sound right. Young Life in Oxford has been uh, starting and they hired somebody and they're kicking off their night next Sunday night at 730. So I wanted to have the parents that go, their students go to Oxford, have the opportunity to come to our meeting and then get to their meeting. And so uh, we're just going to do a little earlier. I'll send that out in an email. But parents, we really want you there to hear our plans for the next three months for your students and student ministries. I'm excited about it. Uh, About Eight weeks ago, we had two youth workers. As of today, we have 15. Amen? 15. We're not done yet. We're not done. I'm still recruiting. Uh, if any of you have had that thought, you can come talk to me and I'm not guaranteeing you a spot on the youth staff. Uh, you got to meet a lot of criteria and everything, but we're still looking for some people to fill some roles in our student ministries. And so uh, this Wednesday night, the youth staff has their first meeting and training. Uh, we're going to talk about philosophy of youth ministry and all these great things. Then Sunday night is our kickoff. Cole Moore is coming uh, from college, from Cornerstone, and he's going to run the teen event while the parents meet. 
meet in the basement and talk about uh, the student ministry. So that's what's coming. Just wanted to let you be aware of that. Don't forget that after this service, because I will forget to remind you, there is a Meet the Leaders meeting that Doug talked about. And uh, if you're new or just haven't really met some of the elders and the pastor, uh, it's just an opportunity to go to classroom one and or two, one of the classrooms. They only have two. So one of the two classrooms in this hallway out here, and uh, you can meet us, just say hi to us, let us get to know you, okay? So m- remember to do that without a, another reminder. Mark 6, 30 through 52. Some of you are going to see right away, are you seriously going to preach this again? Uh, it's not the same message, but it's the same context because I, I love this story. It's not a made-up story. It's something that actually happened in history, but I love it, and it speaks to me at so many different levels, in so many different ways. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and then the story of the storm where Jesus walks on the water. This morning, I, I want to talk about our hearts, close but far off with a hard heart. Don't let that be you today. Don't leave here today and allow your epitaph to be close but far off. It's something that can happen to anyone, pastors included, ministry leaders included. Close, you're serving the Lord, you're faithful. You can probably checkmark a lot of the things about Christianity, but you can still be far off. How can I say that? Because the people that were absolutely closest to Jesus were far off when it comes to their heart. And the heart is so important. Let me read the context and then we'll talk about what scripture says about the heart. I think you could do a couple of months study just on the heart, what the Bible says about the heart. Let's read the story though. Mark 6, 30 through 52. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Notice right there. They had been doing great things. Nothing wrong with that. They've been doing and teaching. And they came back to tell Jesus, look what we did. Look what we did. Gold star, all that kind of stuff. It's exciting, right? Everything's great. Then, verse 31, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love that. 31 is such a ministry verse. So many people are coming and going and question and answers and complaining and uh, problems. and uh, <laughs> So busy, they didn't even have a chance to eat. I'm in a busy season right now. I'm, I'm the lead pastor and I'm the assistant pastor and I'm the youth pastor currently at Oakwood Community Church. I love it. I love it. But I'm old and I'm not going to be able to do it for very long. There's not enough coffee that exists right now to keep this tank going. I feel the disciples in this. Like, I'm doing it. God, I'm doing it. I, here's the things that I've done and I've taught. Right? And then, then it's exhausting. And I love what Jesus says. Come with me by yourselves. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says, just you guys and me. Let's get away. A little vacation for us only, not for everybody. The 12 and Jesus. Let's get away. Yes, quiet place. Yes, people not needing things. All Yes. So they went away by themselves in a boat. Oh, doesn't that speak to some of you Michiganders? Nothing better than getting in a boat with the ones you love and going to a quiet, solitary place. Life is good. Life is good. But here comes verse 33. 
But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Ministry's hard. Serving the Lord's difficult. And then Jesus says, get away. Let's get away. We got a boat. Let's come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away with me. Oh, we get in the boat. We're sailing away. But I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I plan to be there in April uh, with several of my friends from Oakwood. 30 of us are going to Israel. Plan to be on the Sea of Galilee again. Once you get there, the people from Michigan are going to be surprised. You're like, this is no sea. This is barely a pond. This is not, I mean, like Michigan's a lake at least. Why do you even call this the Sea of Galilee? It's small. It's like seven miles wide and only a mile or two across. You can see the other side. And so can you imagine the scene as, as they're busy and they're serving? Jesus is getting about. Let's come sail away. Come sail. <gasps> come sail away. And they take off from shore. And the people that are on the shore are like, where are they going? Hey, I think they're heading over there. Let's go. And they start running. And as they're running, they're like, hey, guys, in this town, they're going to, Jesus is coming. And then everybody, you know, they're all running along the, sh- I don't know if the disciples were watching over their shoulders like, oh, man. Oh, paddle, 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 wind blow, 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 whatever we got to do. Come on, let's go. And they're running and they're, and by the time they get to the other side, there's a crowd going, we're here. And the disciples had to be going, no, we're on vacation. We don't love you now. We loved you then. But now it's about me. It's about us. It's about time. And and then the worst thing happens. I don't know what this look was, but the Bible says when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. I bet you the disciples were like, oh man, Jesus said we're going to go alone. We're going to be alone in a solitary place. There's the crowd. He's going to turn. He's going to turn. He's going to turn. He's not going to. And then you look at them and they're like, no, 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 Jesus. Don't give that look to you. I don't know what that look was like. He saw the crowd and he had compassion. And then to pile on, it says he got out and immediately began to teach not a few things, not some things. What's the word? Many things. The disciples have to be brewing. We're on vacation. We're doing it again. We're serving again. These are the same people that we needed a break from. And now they're here and he's teaching Many things. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but somebody drew the, the short straw. They're like, somebody go tell Jesus that it's us now. Somebody say, go, somebody tell Jesus enough. All right. Who's going to do that? Somebody, somebody that speaks good words. Somebody just draw straws, short straw. You got to go. And whoever the disciple was, I love how he handles it. <laughs> By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It sounds, it sounds okay. It sounds a little compassionate. Okay, Jesus, you've taught many things. It's getting late in the day, and they're going to be hungry. So send them away so they can go get themselves something they eat. Send them away is the key message. If you're, if you're, if you're writing this down and, and making a thing, this is the key message. Jesus, send them away. 
And I love what Jesus says, because there's no hiding it. He just says, you give them something to eat. Now, it's an absurd statement for normal reality. It's late in the day. There's thousands of them, 10,000, 5,000 men and their women and children, 10,000 people. And the disciples are like, it's late. We're tired. We're on vacation. Send them away. It sounds okay. And Jesus says, no, feed them. And then it breaks loose. The frustration. That would take more than a half a year's wages. I'm not making it up because now all of a sudden we got to see at the end of that sentence, an exclamation point. That would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Oh, it's absurd. It's absurd. I, I know I would have been like these disciples. Are you kidding me? And you know that they went out and, and collected some pita bread and some tuna fish. And they, and they, they were like, oh, okay, okay, what do we got? Oh, psh, we got five pita breads and two fishies. Let's just, let's just take it to them and show them how crazy this is. Okay, we went and saw 10,000 people, five pita, two fishies. All right, what are we going to do? Huh? What? what, what? <laughs> I told you, we got to send them away. And Jesus said, no, I told you, feed them and give me what you got. Because I take pitiful things and I make them adequate. That's my only hope. I don't know about you, but as a minister of God, that's my only hope. That God would take the pitiful and make it plenty. Jesus is organized. There's something about organization and ministry because he tells them, separate the people in groups of 50s and 100s. Let's do this right. And so they're up on the hillside and they're organizing their groups, right? And then there's 12 people, the disciples that actually see this miracle. I don't know if the groups saw this. 10,000 people spread out in groups of 50s and 100. I don't know if they all witnessed this, but I do know that the 12 witnessed this. Men usually carried, it was kind of the uh, Hebrew version of the uh, fanny pack, and it was a basket, right? There's a precursor to the fanny pack we take around Cedar Point. Uh, uh, they had a basket, usually a wicker basket that they would carry some stuff with them. And they had 12 baskets because they had 12 guys, and they're like, here we go. We got 12 baskets. Take your five pita bread and two, two. And so Jesus puts them all in front of him and he takes the bread and he takes the fish. And then it's an amazing moment that happens as he goes, and they saw the miracle with their own eyes. The pitiful became plenty. I know I'm not reading the text. You can follow along there. The, the Bible says that they went out to the groups and they handed out food. And wouldn't you know it? All the people ate and were satisfied. I don't know. I mean, don't be thinking that they were all just being very kind and they just took a lick of the bread each. You know, they didn't eat it. They just licked it and passed it on. No, they ate. Everybody say ate. Everybody say satisfied. But all five pita bread and two fish. I might. It's only two tacos, right? It's two fish tacos and extra pita. You know, better have some hummus somewhere. They ate and they were satisfied. That's a great story. But that story that so many people preach and so many people talk about the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, I believe that was 
Out of compassion that Jesus had for people, he cared for people, but he was teaching 12. Because there's a problem. His closest people, the servants that are closest to him, are tired, but they've got a problem. They've got a medical issue. And it's revealed in the next story. These two go together immediately. Everybody say immediately. That's in verse 45. That's important because what happened was when they were done, they went and collected the leftovers. And wouldn't you know it? There's 12 baskets full of food. After everybody had eaten, uh, after five loaves and, and two fishies, everybody ate and was satisfied. They collected food and they had 12 baskets. Each guy had a basket full of food that came from pitiful. And the Bible says immediately Jesus put them back in the boat. So what's in the boat? Quiz. What's in the boat? 12 guys and 12 baskets full of food. <laughs> and this story happens. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Man, what a long day, Jesus. <laughs> After leaving them, he went on a mountainside to pray. See, the disciples think they needed rest, but really Jesus is like, I need to get rid of the disciples here. I, gotta, I, need, a, I need a break. Okay, put the disciples out there in the water. I'm just going to go. Now, finally, I'm by myself with God and let me pray. And he refreshed. He's ready. But we know a storm's brewing. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he walked out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. That just cracks me up. It's my favorite part of the story. I just... I love how that's in there. There's a storm. Jesus had told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And they're just doing what he said. And so they're straining at the oars. They're like, we've got to go. He said to go. We're supposed to go. Let's go. And they're straining and they're fighting this wind and the storm is big. And Jesus sees it and he goes, well, here we go. And he comes down and gets in on the water. Poof. And he's walking on the water. And the Bible says, it's not me making this up. The Bible says he was about to pass by them. Sup. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on a lake and there's a storm and Jesus like walks by? Sup. When he goes, oh, that's right. I better help. And they freak out. The Bible says so. The Bible says they were terrified. Let's read it. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought it was a ghost and they cried out because all they all saw him and they were terrified and immediately spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Of course they were. I mean, this has been a wild 24 hours, exhaustion through ministry, vacation, vacation interrupted, serving again, part two vacation, storm, ghost. Then Jesus gets in the boat and it calms down. Now we're in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and now it's all calm and they're like, what is going on? And here's the answer. And the problem in one verse. We finally find out what the problem is. 
It says they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? The 12 people that were the closest to Jesus on this planet were serving by his side and had hard hearts. Was it the exhaustion? Exhaustion can lead to burnout. Yeah. Was it just too much? Seeing a miracle of the bread and the fish, how did he do that? Can you imagine the discussion they're having? Did you see him do that? Did you see him take the, did you see, look in the boat, look at all this food we have. I'm trying to figure this out and all of a sudden a storm comes and they think they're going to die and now it's been a long day. But we find out they've got a heart problem. So when I have a day to choose what I want to preach about, I want to warn us at Oakwood not to serve the Lord and be far from him. My heart is important to God. I don't have time to read all these verses, but just a little touch on each one. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Say it with me, the words that are underlined, ready? Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 15, 18, it's not the things on the outside that make you unclean, but it's, it's what comes from the heart. Matthew 22, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Romans 10, 10, with your heart you believe and are saved. Set your heart. James 4, 8, purify your hearts. Oh, you can go through scripture and just find a concordance somewhere and find everywhere that the word heart is in the Bible and do a Bible study on this because the Bible talks about the heart and it's really confusing. What is this heart they talk about? We use it weirdly too. You know, in children's ministry, we tell the kids, you know, just ask the Lord into your heart. That can be confusing. Is the heart the blood pumping muscle? Why, is, why do we want to put Jesus in my blood pumping muscle? You know, there can be confusion. We got to be careful with children sometimes how we explain this because it's metaphorical. It means something other than your blood pumping muscle. And then some people would say, well, the heart must be the center of who you are. And I like that definition, but the problem is some people say that's the soul. Well, maybe the heart and the soul are the same thing. It can't be, right? It can't be because the, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your body, with all your strength. Apparently the heart's not your soul or your mind. What is this heart? I think the heart is the, kind of the center of who we are. We know it's the emotional part of who we are. It's really our center. It's our core. It's, it's, it's that beingness. Our brain is extremely important. Whoever gets the mind gets the life, but you know that your heart supersedes your mind. Amen. You ever been in love before and got your heart broken? Oh, the heart is really strong, isn't it? It's not just the emotional part, though, because in other cultures, uh, they don't use the heart as the metaphor. And, and, and back in this time, actually, some of the Eastern Asian countries, they use the bowels. You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine using the bowel instead of the heart when you're... I, I did. I, I was thinking about it last night. I wrote a poem for my wife. I did. I wrote her a poem. Uh, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways... My large intestine is churning. My small intestine's burning. 
when I'm without you, it's the worst. My bowels are about to burst. <laughs> yeah, I came home last night and I said, I wrote a poem and I shared it. Guess what? She hated it. She, did. she said, would you tell the people I hated the poem? So just so you know, <laughs> my wife has a brain. She's smart. She's like, that's the dumbest thing. Can you imagine that? Different cultures, though, would use the bowels, not the heart. And the Bible just uses the heart, the heart, the heart's important. It, it, the Bible is not saying it's not important. We know that our minds are very important, right? We've got to surrender our thought life. But there's something about the heart, the core of who you are, that's essential. And your heart cannot be far from God. Don't let it wander far from God. The Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's really weird that it didn't say where your treasure is, there your heart will be. No, it's where your heart is, you'll find your treasure. The heart's so important today. Spiritually, I don't know if you're on the same page with me, but spiritually, where's your heart? Are you close to God or are you just close in doing and checkmarking things and yet you're far from him? He said, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts were far away. You hear that in scripture over and over again. And then there's two major ones, two of my favorite verses about the heart. Proverbs 4, 23. Some of y'all have this as your favorite verse in the Bible. Above all else. Say that with me. Above all. When the Bible says something like that, it's important because there's a lot of good stuff in here. Right. But above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. See how important the heart is? Again, you know, today you're going to hear it over and over again in our culture today. It just, our culture screams at you, follow your heart, do what your heart tells you to do. Let me tell you, don't follow that advice because your heart is desperately wicked. The Bible says so. My heart is desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. Make your heart follow God. Amen. Make sure that heart is close to God and doesn't wander off because your heart can take you in the wrong direction. People say, but it's love. Love is always good. No, it's not. People use that kind of thinking to justify certain kind of activities and preferences. And No, that's not a good principle to live by. I just, I fell in love. I fell in love with this person, that person, this thing. So it must be okay because love is always good. No, it's not. You know it would be a terrible thing if one of the elders had to get up next week and say, we're sorry we had to fire Pastor Don. He ran off with the 23-year-old. You would be ticked off and you should find me and hurt me. Yes, amen. <laughs> Could it happen? Your heart can do some dumb stuff. And just because my heart might find something and run to it doesn't mean it's good I'll tell you what's good is I love Julie. Amen? For over 30 years, I love her. And no 23-year-old is gonna, no, I love her. My heart is with her. Don't follow your heart. Make sure your heart's following God. Above all else, guard that heart. And then Psalm 139 is my favorite passage in all the Bible. Search me, God, and know my heart. This is David, the warrior poet. He slew thousands of people in battle, yet could pick up a pen and write beautiful poetry. 
Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Surely if I, I say the darkness will hide me, will the light, the night will become light. Oh. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any offensive way in me. David understood this principle of the heart. And I think this is why he's called a man after God's own heart. Because he knew that the heart was central. And he said to God, God, search me and know my heart. That's a dangerous prayer. I'm going to tell you it's a dangerous prayer, but one that God will always answer. If you go to God sincerely and say, search my heart, he will reveal things. He will. Cheryl Nallian wrote me a beautiful email. I'll get permission and probably send it out to you as a, as a devotional this week. It was wonderful. Something that she had learned that she shared with me about Psalm 139 and about this, oh Lord, search me. Search my heart. She said for years that never really clicked. She brought up the fact that most of us do. We go to church and we hear a message and we're like, oh, I hope so-and-so heard that. They really needed that. Have you ever sat at church saying, man, if only that person down the road would hear this, they would be right. And we often try to think what other people need to hear. You know, the prayer here isn't, Lord, search Bob's heart. (laughs) That's not what David said. David didn't say, Lord, search Bob's heart. He didn't say, Lord, search Dan's heart. No, David got alone with God after all the conversation he had with him in Psalm 139. And he said, search me, God, and know my heart. When we pray that, we can make that personal. God, search Don. And know my heart. Try me and see if there's any offensive way in me. We need to make that personal. We need to make that our prayer. Not a prayer for somebody else. David says it and other people have said it. We heard it in scripture today in 1 Corinthians. Paul said, examine yourself. The word examine means to search and do thoroughly. And to question closely. Let me just ask you, are you doing that in your spiritual walk? Are you searching thoroughly your heart? Are you questioning closely what your affections are leaning toward? Are you checking yourself? This is something we do, but only with God's help. And it brings me to a very important point. What is expected is connected to what is inspected. You all know this principle. Any teachers in the room? Any teachers? Teachers are great people, but they always give quizzes and tests. Why? Because what is expected is connected to what is inspected. I wish I would have had a professor at one point that said, here's what you need to learn this semester. By the way, there's going to be no quizzes, no tests, and no papers. Just know this by the end. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
at the end. Do you know it? Yeah, I got it. No, that's not what happens. Professors are like, here's where we're going. Here's where we're learning. You will have quizzes. You will have exams. You're going to have a final exam. And it's not going to have any words on a paper. I'm going to give you a blank paper. And you're going to write what you know. Because what's expected is always connected to what's inspected. If it's not inspected, we tend to fail. Are you with me? Parents know this rule. Listen, Johnny. After supper, you need to take out the trash and clean your room. An hour after supper, parents do not say, Johnny, did you do it? Okay. No. Parents go, check the garbage. (laughs) And they go, look in the room. And they don't just look in the room, they open the closet in the room. (laughs) And look under their bed. (sighs) Johnny! Johnny! I had something I expected. And so I inspected... And Johnny, you got to clean your room, right? What's expected is connected to what's inspected. That's what my heart is today. And that's what I wanted to leave you with is your heart matters. I don't want Oakwood to be a place of a bunch of busy people for God. Yeah, ministry is important. I'm not downing that. Don't forget that even after Jesus sent the disciples away, he stayed and worked. He dismissed the whole crowd. 10,000 people, and all of them kept coming up and saying, can I have the recipe for the fish? Because the fish was fantastic. (laughs) It was heavenly. (laughs) You get that? See what I did there? Yeah. (laughs) Every one of them, thank you, God bless, thank you, God bless, thank you, God bless. Ministry is important and it needs to get done. The job must get done, but not at the expense of your heart. We need servants whose hearts are close to God. You want to avoid burnout, stay close to God. Burnout is when you do a lot of things and you don't feel like anything's getting done. That's when people burn out. I know y'all worried about your pastor. You know, he's, oh, he's old now and he's going to burn out. Yeah. If you stay close to God and you're busy and you see fruit, it's exciting kind of fun but nobody wants to just work and work and there's no results there's no effectiveness it's interesting though effectiveness only comes when you're close to God (laughs) isn't that amazing the real key is keep your heart close to God be a right relationship with him and then work hard you do both And he'll make it effective. That's what I love about it. He'll make it effective. Remember what Jesus said to him? Go see what you got. We don't got enough. We don't got enough. There's not enough food to feed 10,000 people. Go see. Here, fine. Five pita, two fishies. Pitiful. How is this going to feed 10,000 people? It's impossible. Sounds like a recipe for burnout. Except Jesus was there. And Jesus says, guys, if you knew me, if you knew me, see, you're so close, but you don't know me. I bet you everywhere they went, disciples kept bringing a loaf of pita. Hey, Jesus, these people are hungry. Do that thing. (laughs) Because when you know him, it changes everything. The impossible becomes exciting. 
when you know him and you're close to him and you see him making it effective. Oh, he's the only one that can make it effective. Only God can take the pitiful and make it plentiful. Do you trust him? Do you know him? Well, then here's the key principle. What's expected, a relationship with God, a closeness with God, what's expected is connected to what's inspected. Are you looking at your heart? It's it's more than just once a month that you come to communion service that you say, Lord, search me. Lord, search Don and know Don's heart. Oh, I pray that it's more than just once a month. That should be a daily prayer. We should wake up in the morning and before we even hit the, the floor, we should say, oh God, search Don's heart. Try me, test me. And before we go to bed at night, all right, Lord, what did we learn? <laughs> Where did I go off the rails today? Where did I stop trusting? Search my heart. I'd ask the team to come and join me. We uh, had communion today, so we usually end with the blessing as a benediction. It's a good thing to know the Lord, and it's a good thing to know that He cares for us and accepts us and forgives us when we get off. Let's pray today before we worship in closing. Father God, I pray that You would search our hearts. God, I pray that You would know us inside and out. And God, if you find something that's unpleasant, that's not right, convict us of that. Father, we're thankful that it's not our job alone. You gave us the Holy Spirit. Oh, you've given us everything we need. We're so equipped. There's the Holy Spirit that reveals these things to us, our heart problems, our heart issues. And God, help us right from the get-go. Help us, nobody in this room to say that can't happen to me. If it could happen to the disciples, it can happen to me close, but far off with a hard heart. So God, I pray you would cleanse our hearts, renew our hearts, refresh our hearts. Father, help us to serve and be effective. Make our our service effective for you. We pray in Jesus' name.